right, guys. Welcome back to the old switcheroo where we're talking gaming retro with Mike and JMO. I'm Mike. And I'm JMO. In this podcast, we are swallowing up and spitting out every retro game in the Nintendo Switch online catalog. Today, we'll be deep diving into Kirby's first three games ever released Kirby's Dreamland, Kirby's Adventure, and Kirby's Dreamland. Two, so Mike, I'm excited to get this one. Kirby is one of the most famous video game, you know, mascots and protagonists of all time, and you know, I think most people have a basic familiarity with them. What's your experience with Kirby? I think going into this, it is almost entirely Smash Brothers. <laughs> We're gonna get to that. Um, Kirby is widely known through his appearance in the Smash Brothers series. So let's jump into uh, his first game, which will lead us into discussing Smash Brothers uh, in today's episode, which I am titling Curderves, covering again, like I said, Kirby's Dreamland, Kirby's Adventure, and Kirby's Dreamland Two. Mike, you get my, you, you get what I'm going with with this title, right? Yeah, I get with it. I get what we're doing here. I don't necessarily approve, but I understand what's happening. <laughs> now, now, can you spell hors d'oeuvres without looking at the screen? Because I never can. The, the spelling of this word just always gets lost in my head. I know it starts with like an H, right? Right. Like H-O-R and then probably what you got there. <laughs> that, let's go with that. D'oeuvres, yeah. Yeah. So Jonathan, my little brother, will laugh at this memory. But uh, if you recall Mr. Webb. Uh, yeah, one of our English teachers at Saga's High School. Yes. I stopped by his classroom, and it was when Jonathan was his student. So Jonathan's older brother walks into his English class. Mr. Webb hands me the spelling list and says, hey, you know, I'll help you. I think I was asking for, like, my project back or something. So I'll go find your project. You give the spelling test, which is probably the first time I was ever actually a teacher, now that I think about it. And the first word was, <laughs> was hors d'oeuvres. H-O-R-D apostrophe O-E-U-V-R-E-S. Any guess how I accidentally said it? I mean, you've told me to keep this show classy in the past. <laughs> I don't think I can answer. I think you did a great job of making the joke for me without making me say that word. Yeah, so uh, Kirby is you know known for gobbling up his enemies, so we're theming the episode title after uh, different courses in a meal. So Kirby's Dreamland was released on the Game Boy in 1992. It was published by Nintendo, and it was developed by HAL Laboratory, uh, HAL Laboratory Incorporated. And Mike, you might be wondering why I'm showing you here also the IBM logo. Uh, HAL was named because the founding members, uh, members thought that this showed that they were one step ahead of IBM. Do you get the joke they're making? I do. What's interesting about this, though, is the other famous Hal in computing history is you named the, similarly. The, the antagonist of uh, Space Odyssey? Yeah, that I believe in 2001, the reason it's named Hal is also the shifting all the letters of IBM one spot. No way. That's wild. Yeah, so the also the logo for HAL Laboratory, not the one, not the killer robot Mike's talking about, uh, but the company that made Kirby. It's a dog nesting with eggs because the founders thought that it showed a nurturing sense, but also an innovative sense of two things that you wouldn't think going together, but still very comforting to see. I really like the thought that the AI from 2001 Space Odyssey made Kirby. <laughs> 
I don't know. I've, well, you know, the one who did make Kirby is widely regarded as maybe one of the biggest geniuses in gaming, uh, Matsuhiro Sakurai, who is um, often referred to as Daddy Sakurai by his fans. He is the face and the designer and the conceptual you know, director of the Smash Brothers series. And Mike, we, we played a lot of Smash Brothers back in the day. It's not part of the Nintendo Switch online catalog just yet, but you know, hopefully it does get added. And Kirby was always your favorite character. Why was that? Um, because I was not very good, and there was sort of a, a mutually assured destruction element with Kirby inhaling other characters. Yeah, so if you've never played the games before, we're going to talk about it a lot today, but the central mechanic of any Kirby game is that he swallows up his enemies and either digests them to steal their powers, or he can spit them out as a projectile attack. And so Kirby can do that in Smash Brothers, and you know, you and I would play until 1, 2 in the morning just playing this game over and over again. And I distinctly remember the quote of you know your strategy of swallowing me up and then jumping off the edge, and I told you, I said, Mike, like, you know you can't win that way. And he's like, you said, you remember what you said? I don't. My goal isn't to win. My goal is to make you lose. <laughs> so basically making sure that one of my brothers won the match because you kept swallowing me up and suiciding to take us both out. And it's funny because that's like one of my favorite traits of um, Admiral Hux in the uh, third Star Wars sequel. Um, I like that movie, but my favorite moment is when it was revealed that he is, in fact, just trying to screw over Kylo Ren and uh, doesn't actually care if he wins the battle or not. That was kind of your uh, Kirby experience, or that was the experience of playing against you as Kirby. Uh, so we'll talk here about the cover art of uh, Kirby's Dreamland. And Mike, you know, I kind of learned a lot about this cover art, but you know, what jumps out to you when you look at the uh, North American box versus the Japanese box? I, I think the difference is pretty noticeable. Yeah, clearly it's there's a background on the American cover. <laughs> there's there's a background. Yeah, Wispy Woods, the first boss of pretty much every Kirby game. Anything else jumping out? <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while because I would like to know why Kirby seems to be an escaped boo in this and is white. Yes. So the North American box art of Kirby's Dreamland, his first ever game, he is infamously, very clearly, as white as a marshmallow. And then the Japanese one, he is the, you know, pink body red shoes that we've come to expect. And it's because the Nintendo of America offices, this is according to a 2022 BBC.com article, Nintendo of America's offices didn't receive any information on the character's intended color since it was a black and white system. And so Sakurai uh, always wanted the character to be pink, but Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto was lobbying for Kirby to be yellow instead, which is why in later games, when there would be two players, player one Kirby is pink, player two Kirby is yellow. So it's literally just a lack of communication. Uh, I was kind of hoping there would be a more interesting backstory to that. What's interesting with that also is in the manual for Kirby's Dreamland, they do just leave Kirby uncolored, even though other drawings in there are actually in color. So I was really wondering if this meant that the pink came later until apparently just nobody told America. Yeah, <laughs> this is a communication breakdown. Yeah. But so here's the crazy thing. This blew my mind when I was playing earlier. Mike, did you know that in the Nintendo Switch online emulator for the Game Boy, 
you can change what type of Game Boy you're using. Yes, I think I did find that. Right, so you can change it to be a Game Boy, a Super Game Boy, or a Game Boy Color. And Super Game Boy was the peripheral where you could plug Game Boy games into the Super Nintendo. Uh, Game Boy Color is, you know, a system that was released later and added color to old Game Boy games. But what blew my mind is that if you look at the screenshot, the Game Boy Color was still years away from being released. So probably very early in the development phases. And so my mind sort of broke when I saw that when you put this old, old Game Boy game into the more modern Game Boy Color, Kirby is colored properly. The Game Boy Color knew to make Kirby pink and his shoes red. Uh, so I researched it, and I'd like to explain it to you. May I? Actually, I was going to ask how it knows to add the color anyway. So yeah, go on. Yeah, okay. I anticipated your curiosity. So the Game Boy Color was backwards compatible with old Game Boy games, and they were given a color palette based on the patterns of shades of gray used in the original release. But for brand consistency, Nintendo included a series of files called 0x3F1000, and these files would open if the system detected one of 30 iconic Nintendo games and applied a special color palette to get things just right. So this is how they ensured that Mario would wear red, uh, Yoshi would be green, Kirby is pink, and you're going to get a kick out of this. One of like the 30 games they programmed this for was Kicks. <laughs> Wonderful. What is Kicks? It keeps coming up. You said it's like a game where you have to kind of part or uh, square off certain areas of the screen? Yeah, you basically, you move around... You're safe when you're on the boundaries, and it kind of has what looks like an escaped, like, old screensaver bouncing around inside. Yeah. And then you will quickly journey in to cut out areas. When you complete an area, it sort of is claimed. And you're it's trying so to claim though. as much of that as you can. When you and first I love that it's come that. Yeah, yeah, I made this snarky joke of, Mike, that's a cereal, isn't it? Ha ha. And I'm doing the research for this. I was like, oh my god, it's kicks again. Like, I can't freaking escape this game. Well... So I've got some, uh, do you have any other thoughts on the cover before we move on to some Kirby trivia? I mean, no, like a, Kirby being white really draws yeah. all the attention off this. At yeah, this point. but I, I do say, though, given the two Japanese versus North American box art, even with Kirby being the quote unquote wrong color, I think it's a cooler cover. You know, he's, he's showing off his jumping ability. There's enemies attacking him. And then you have the iconic Wispy Woods boss. You know, the other one, the Japanese cover, it's really just showcasing the character design and that's it. So I'm a big fan. People who've listened before, they know I love when a game box actually communicates what the game's going to be like. So uh, first, got some trivia for you. We're going to call this Knowledge is Nintendo Power. Got to get a sound effect for that. I think there was like a lightning strike back in the old commercial. Uh, this is Kirby's first game, but his second appearance. He was originally uh, very first seen in a game called Arcana. It was an RPG released one month before Kirby. And it was by the same development house, Hal. And so you can see here, Kirby is uh, in the opening cutscene of Arcana. And I don't know, Mike, what's the vibe you get from this image? <laughs> the really weird specific thing that this reminds me of is yeah. one of the old Disney specials that was about life and space and stuff, hosted by Ludwig von Drake. 
has a whole weird sci-fi angle they go on where there's a bunch of aliens attacking towards the end. Yeah, the the, the cutscene that Kirby first appeared in is this horde of monsters. So this is like, it, it, what you're saying kind of makes me think of Fantasia, but it wasn't Fantasia you're talking about. No, no, because the great part is like a bunch of aliens and like the last one is just freaking Donald Duck and it just feels like a weirdly out of place move. And so here there's like skulls and stuff and glowing eyes out yeah, of trolls and yes. two Kirby's in there. Yeah. But I mean, it's not two Kirby's. It's actually just the image being repeated to make it look like, you know, a big army, but it's, it's weird. It's weird. Sonic actually also has a weirdly similar first appearance. That was just this strange sort of unsettling cameo, but we'll get to that when we get to Sonic too. Are you familiar Mike with whom Kirby is named after? It's a pretty interesting story. No, and I don't have any guesses that aren't just other places that name occurs with no real Yeah, like vacuum cleaners or whatever. Hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Kirby vacuum cleaners. I wonder if they're named after the game character because he sucks stuff up. So meet John Kirby. Uh, John Kirby is widely credited as saving Nintendo from financial ruin. He is a U.S. patent and copyright lawyer who defended Nintendo when Universal sued them in 1984 over the likeness of Donkey Kong. And it's a hugely fascinating story that I'm going to leave as a teaser for the Donkey Kong episode because I had this whole paragraph I was ready to talk to you. And I realized, like, wait a minute, we're doing a Donkey Kong episode And this is way more Donkey Kong related. But John Kirby is a U.S. attorney, and they named the game. I guess Kirby was one of the names they were already considering, and the developers liked the connection. Were you noticing that any of the characters in Kirby had been uh, cameos from other games? No. I mean, the most I have really is especially recognizing the tree as a Smash Brothers level. Right, yeah, yeah. The Wispy Woods becomes a level. Yeah, so there's the reverse <laughs> that I recognize these characters from the later appearances, but I didn't recognize characters yeah. from earlier games. So now if you played Smash Brothers today, you could be a Captain America saying you understand that reference. You, yes. You fought Wispy Woods now. Yeah, exactly. So the second boss is named Lolo Lo and La La La, and they are the main characters of Adventures of Lolo which is a puzzle platforming game that we're going to be uh, playing uh, later on. And the kind of funny connection that this game has to Smash Brothers beyond the director is that the damage mechanic of Kirby was originally going to be very, very different. In this game, you get hit and you lose a hit point, and once you lose all your hit points, you're dead. It's very basic kind of platforming one-on-one. The original mechanic, though, is that every time Kirby got hit, he would get knocked further towards the edge of the screen until Kirby died. And, you know, Mike, what does that remind you of? That, that's the Smash Brothers death mechanic, is it not? Exactly. And the same guy, um, um, Sakurai, made Kirby. And so the natural assumption is that, oh, He based Smash Brothers off his original idea for Kirby's Dreamland, but no, apparently he completely forgot he developed this and he reinvented the wheel when he made Smash Brothers. And only years later was he looking at like development documents, realized, wait a minute, like I came up with this idea like a decade prior and just forgotten. That is fascinating. Right? It's like discovering plutonium by accident twice or something. It's so weird. Uh, he's he's quite the you know design genius. So speaking of the design of the game, 
you know, one of the kind of central ideas is that Sakurai wanted to make a action game for people who don't normally play action games. And so a big part of that is uh, in the way that Kirby controls being a lot more forgiving than the way that like, let's say Mario controls. Uh, Kirby is, you know, known for a lot of different traits, but one of them is this very floaty jump where after jumping, you can just keep tapping the up button and you sort of decide when Kirby actually is going to touch the ground. And as a kid, I actually found this really unwieldy and not really liking it very much. What was your thoughts, Mike, on how Kirby controls? Um, I mean, part of this is the staying up in the air for longer periods of time was the other key selling point for um, Smash Brothers for me. Yeah, yeah, because you could just float back every time you got knocked away. Yeah, so I certainly was already ready to think about Kirby as in it. Floaty. that yeah and this kind of takes it to an extra level level i think there were occasional points where i think i just kind of got fed up and would just like float my way over to the ending and just kind of <laughs> bypass stuff wait well so you you skip stuff so mike you're you're not using any safe spades you're not using any rewind any modern functions but it sounds like you would skip levels the old-fashioned way by just floating over all the enemies yeah <laughs> You know, it's weird. It never occurred to me. But again, you know, being that I am rewinding and using modern functions, maybe every time an enemy encounter went bad, I just tried it again. Whereas you had more incentive to actually sort of, you know, uh, avoid danger. Yeah, there's a couple times where it's like, you know what? This is working. I don't have to come back down. Right. Huh. Yeah, and a lot of the levels are designed to sort of bottleneck you into one area. So you can't really use his floating ability too egregiously. But... Going into the joy pros of the game, I think the forgiving controls are definitely a big joy pro versus a joy con, you know, something that we like about the game. And I really enjoyed the cuts. They um, are really, really cute. Before the water level, Kirby's fishing, and then he eats the fish and gets the hook stuck in his mouth, and he's kind of trying to tug the hook out. Stage two, Kirby gets beamed by a shooting star. And, you know, it's I feel like Kirby was the first emoji. Would you back me up on that? He's kind of a living emoji when you think about it. He's definitely, they do give a lot of personality to him or a yeah. sense of character to him out of, from things like that. Or even, I kind of like that the manual, he is basically introducing you to how to play the game. So oh, like, like it's, Kirby's talking to you via the paragraphs. Yeah, yeah. So there's whole like him with like speech bubbles of like what to do. Oh, that's cute. I imagine like being a kid and going through that and that would feel kind of fun because it's sort of kind of connecting you to the protagonist, even through the manual. Yeah, I like that. And I think, you know, his enemies have a lot of character, too. So Scarfy, I don't know if you came across Scarfy. He's this floating head and he's one of the only enemies you can't suck up. And it's really unnerving because when you try to swallow him by holding down the B button this game, he doesn't get sucked into your mouth. He actually gets angry and grows like sharp teeth and starts to like come after you. So, you know, him being a little bit more scary. King DDD, the final boss of the game, like he'll cry when you defeat him and he has this big shocked look on his face. Uh, Poppy Bros, the the bomber character, he kind of hops around gleefully chucking bombs at you. And did you get to the point where you got to the microphone power up? Um, I think I did, which feels like one of the weirdest, like, convergent evolutions in video games and video game adjacent material. What are you talking about? We we basically have a pink beach ball that sings 
and that is used as a weapon. And that is Jigglypuff in the anime <laughs> as well. Yeah, it does make you wonder if, you know, I mean, I'm sure the, you know, Pokemon developers were Nintendo fans. Yeah, and there's a lot of similarity visually between Kirby and Jigglypuff. Yeah, you're right. And uh, But I love how he sort of rocks out. <laughs> it's kind of a whistle. It kind of... I'm going to choose to believe that it's the same way that it turns out that a huge number of crabs are not actually related. It's just <laughs> over time, you mean? that's evolution just divert directs creatures into a crab structure. Whoa, whoa. that's and like a really kind strong... Of just like the thought that there's some similar thing in video games that eventually just gets to like a Kirby slash Jigglypuff state. Not in purpose, just that works. It all comes together. Right. It's like, I feel like the first thing you said about the crabs is like kind of a strong case for intelligent design. But then right now we're talking about video game design. I don't know. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> uh, speaking of music, I thought the Kirby music first appearing in this game, really iconic and catchy. And it's funny because like Mario's like, da 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 right? It's like anyone can hum the Mario theme. Kirby's, it's a lot more and I feel like it's less it's less popular for that reason, but I thought it was really catchy. I thought it was instantly recognizable. I think Kirby has great music, even present here in his very first game. Another thing I really loved about the game is just the different types of enemies. There are 50 different types of enemies in Kirby's Dreamland. And so you know, it really kind of kept things fresh where you have to evade the spiked enemies and then you can suck up projectiles and shoot them back. There's, there was just a lot of different strategies involved. And this is, you know, especially um, in the boss battles, you know, when you're fighting against the giant tree or King DDD, um, Lolo and Lolo Lolo and La La La, we talked about them earlier. Their boss mechanic is just pushing crates around, and you have to sort of get around the crate and get behind them to hurt them. Did, how many bosses did you end up fighting? Because, you know, without save states, um, I don't know how far you got. So you got all the way to King DDD and beat the game, right? I, Nintendo, did. Yes, this is another... Wait a minute, I have a sound effect to reward myself. Give me a second. Yes, I beat this game. Play that a second time. Okay, here it comes. Oh. Are you telling me you beat this game without yes. using any modern function? Wow, congratulations. Yeah, that's I, cool. I was somewhat surprised. And the only part that really got hard was figuring out how on earth to handle that very final battle. Just because I was playing it. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm strategically supposed to be doing here. Like, but I, you got him, though. Yes, because I, I looked it up and be like, what the heck do I do? And it's like, oh, okay, use this as the strategy. And I think some of that is just, sometimes it's realizing what I'm supposed to be inhaling is tricky. Yeah, so so let's talk about it, because, you know, this is probably going to be one of my Joy-Cons. This game almost doesn't feel like a Kirby game, because it is the only Kirby game in which you cannot copy enemy abilities. All of your attacks are spitting up uh, enemies that you swallowed up, spitting up objects. Like you can, you know, you can swallow up blocks and shoot those as projectiles. And so with the boss against King D D D King D D D, <laughs> I have to count. 
it, the projectile you have to shoot at him are these stars that pop out of the ground when he body slams. It's kind of like this big wrestling match. So was that just not apparent to you that those stars were grabbable? Pretty much, yeah. I didn't quite. I didn't realize that I could grab those. Whereas a lot of the other things, there was, you know, wispy. What's the first one? You have apples that drop, and it's like, okay, I can clearly grab those because yeah, those are objects. Yeah. And I just, it didn't register for me at first. And then it still took a while to get sort of the rhythm of it. But yeah. once I knew what I was going for, then I, it, it still took a while. But I was well, able to get I feel- through that. I feel like I got to make another sound effect for you because you beating the game without modern functionality is a lot more impressive. So when you were stuck on King DDD, did you pause it and then look up what to do? Uh, yeah. Okay. And you didn't use the <laughs> You hit the pause button like they would have had to do back in the 90s. That's awesome. Yeah. Good yeah, job. I did, not, I, I did not go fully retro and like call a game helpline. <laughs> Yeah, for for the listeners who aren't aware, Nintendo used to have a hotline that you could call, and it was like five bucks a minute, and you could speak to a a really good gamer who had just these huge packets of game tips. Um, and apparently, though, a lot of the staff were like actually genuinely fans, and so a lot of older people have really fond memories of like bonding with a stranger over the phone about how great video games are. So pretty cool. So, well, you know, I was really hoping to blow your mind with this one, but since you're good at video games, you know already about New Game Plus. Mike, have you ever played a modern game with a New new Game Plus function? What's defined as New Game Plus? New Game Plus is after beating the game, you are given a new take on the game, and it's still the same levels, it's the same enemies, but it's usually more challenging. So enemies are more aggressive, or there's more of them. I was say, I feel like the closest thing that I'd associate that to, in a sense, is the concept of things like roguelites, where after yeah. each playthrough, something carries over. Yeah. Um. So like, sort of similar. Actually, the other thing that comes to mind, I think EDF did this to us as well, where you had to beat it to then unlock the higher, have the higher difficulty that wasn't available which I guess yeah. kind of feels like the same deal. But right, those, same sort of idea. Yeah, but those feel a bit more advertised. Right. Where it's, I'm used to it being like, oh, there's a option there that you just can't select yet. Whereas here, it was interesting to have it just go like, for in the future, you can jump to the, heb- to the higher difficulty this yeah. way. Right. Which I thought was a really interesting approach. So most people uh, uh, credit or accredit Chrono Trigger, which is a fantastic Super Nintendo RPG game that's unfortunately not in our catalog yet. Hopefully it will get added, but I don't I don't think it will because I think Square Enix is pretty protective of that IP. But this game predates Chrono Trigger by three years. And so I would argue, and I think this is a hot take that game historians should listen to, Kirby's Dreamland is the first game with a new play, new, new game plus function. It is a hidden mode that is more difficult that you're only told about upon beating it. And this game didn't have any sort of memory chip in the cartridge. So there's no save functionality at all. You, Mike, not using modern functions, had to beat this in one sitting. And you did. Or you just paused it and let it run. <laughs> How'd you do it? Yeah. I, I think the the one bit that I accept is that because I can't, because <sighs> I don't know, because I can't exit out of games anyway. Yeah. The way the Switch is designed. So this was not the one sitting because I can't just leave it, but it was 
one playthrough. One playthrough, right. And so uh, upon beating it, it says, good job. Press up A and select on the title screen to start a new adventure. And it doesn't even make it that clear in the description that this new adventure is a more difficult mode with more aggressive enemies and slightly different boss behavior. So, Mike, did you give that a try? Did you try the harder mode? I played a, a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, and I think I recall that it, it was noticeably harder. And then I yeah. think I just wasn't compelled to try to get all the way through it a Again. second time. Yeah, yeah. Well, the game only has five levels. They're pretty short. I think the whole run through you could probably complete in, I mean, about an hour if you knew exactly what you were doing. So, you know, I, I have a lot of things I like about this game. You know, pretty much everything I've described, I think, is a pretty good Joy Pro. Um, my Joy Cons, we've kind of already covered. You know, I the lack of having the ability to suck up your enemies and gain their powers, I thought was going to be really distracting. And again, the game having no sort of save feature could also be a con. Um, any criticisms to say about Kirby's Dreamland Two before we go to the next game? Um, I don't think I don't think so. Or I mean, I'm left with one question. Yeah, as it relates to the cutscene at the end. Okay, let me get is... to that. I I can pull it back up. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, I don't understand in the slightest why Kirby turns into a giant hot air balloon and carts away a castle. Yeah, so after you defeat King DDD, Kirby, I, I mean, I just assume, you know, he is just, um, well, I wonder, did, did King DDD, did he, like, claim that castle? Was that part of the story? You I know, mean, I really, even if he did, he didn't take the castle from somewhere else, because I have no idea how he'd do that. So presumably <laughs> the castle was where it was supposed to be. <laughs> right. When a uh, invading force takes over a castle, they don't move it. Traditionally, no. <laughs> Right. So, um, you know, kind of carting off the uh, castle is sort of strange. It it, it, it felt kind of vaguely sinister. Like it was neat, but I'm like, I don't n nothing before this led me to expect that to happen. Well, so the game description on Nintendo Switch Online says you're actually fighting against starvation. Um, King DDD has stolen the stars and the people of Dreamland are starving without them. So he has to fight his way all the way to the top of Mount DDD. So it almost seems like just to spite the villain he just defeated, he's just full on taking his house somewhere. <laughs> Pretty messed up, Kirby. Yeah. So otherwise, I don't have any other cons. I think I have just one other thing that I'm going to briefly mention. Sure. Which is actually more on the on the Joy Pro side. Now that it was just an, an a surprising touch that initially made me think I didn't know how pausing works Yeah, is when you pause the game, if you just kind of like let it go. Okay. At some point, Kirby does start to just like move. Like okay, he's well, waiting for you. I'm, I'm booting up the game. Okay. I just paused it. And you're saying if I just let it sit here now, I'm not going to make the listeners wait because I'm going to go on to the next game, but I want to see what you're talking about. Cause I never press the pause button. I always just, you know, save the game using the switch functionality. Yeah. It's like, I think I paused it. And then I was like checking stuff. And then I kind of looked back up and was like, wait, did I not pause? Wait, no, I, the game is paused. Oh, I see it. Kirby's kind of running in place. Yeah. Kirby just starts to like do stuff. Oh, he's dancing. He's dancing. <laughs> Oh, Kirby, you're so cute. Oh, his face is on. Wow, this is really cool. Yeah, and that was that a very... That must have been freaky, though. Like I said, it, like, it didn't freak me out. It was just like, did I not... Is the game still running and I did, didn't pause? Like, 
because my concern was like something will kill me when I'm not paying attention, especially because I think with the I think both of the Game Boy ones did have that um, enemies would respawn as soon as you they were off the screen from where yeah. they're starting well, point off the screen. Because the game, again, has no memory functionality, so it has no way of remembering if you defeated the enemy or not once yeah. you've left that screen, yeah. Yeah, so I totally understand that. My concern was like, am I vulnerable? It's like, no, Kirby is just bored. That right. wasn't an, uh, that was not a concern I had at first. Well, Mike, I think we just discovered that I'm a better scientist than you are because I'll bet you didn't pause during other animations to see what Kirby would do. Like, for example, I just paused the game while Kirby is sucking up an enemy to see what would happen. I mean... Are you <laughs> writing this down? Because that's the other part of the science part. I don't want to do that part. And also, no, nothing's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be only when Kirby is standing. We'll try a jumping animation as well. Yeah, so super cute game. Um, and speaking of super cute games, then let's move on to the second game in today's episode, Kirby's Adventure. Kirby's Adventure was released on NES in 1993, published by Nintendo, and once again, um, HAL Laboratory, and uh, Daddy Sakurai is the lead designer. And I really love the box art of uh, Kirby's Adventures. Oh my gosh. <gasps> Mike. <laughs> Kirby is dancing in midair. <laughs> <laughs> I paused it while he was jumping, and he's still doing his, all of his animations. Wow, what an amazing little creature. All right. Well, anyway, um, sorry, that was just a genuine thrill. So Kirby's Adventure is the sequel to Kirby's Dreamland. Like I said, released on the NAS. We're looking here at the um, Japanese and North American boxes. Mike, I think when you compare the winners here, there's there's a clear winner, right? Which do you prefer? Um, I'm going with the North American one there and Kirby yeah. inhaling the cover. Right. He's, he's, he's the the paper getting sucked off into Kirby's mouth. At least that's what the art is trying to make it look like. And then behind the cover, there are all these like glowing stars and enemy faces, which is pretty clever because it's implying that, you know, inside the box, there's going to be dangers and you know treasures to discover. And the Japanese one, like it shows Kirby in a variety of different poses, you know, from different things you can do in the game. So if you look at the little Kirby's in the you know outside edge, you can see Kirby with his sword, Kirby with the six shooter, Kirby breathing fire. But it just doesn't hold a candle to me to the North American cover. That thing's really cool. Um, so let me give you some um, trivia on Kirby's adventure. Kirby was, again, developed by Matsuhiro Sakurai, and he wanted to take advantage of the increased graphical capabilities of the NES. So Sakurai pushed his team to create a game that was even more visually imaginative than the original Game Boy game. And part of that included the controversial decision of assistant director Takashi Saito to hire actual artists, as opposed to game designers, to create the background graphics. And then the artist handed their concept sketches to the game designers. So it was kind of like the birth of concept art for video games. Interesting. Where previously, you know, yeah, the programmers would just, oh, I know what trees look like. And it led to some really beautiful backgrounds. Like this is the final, you know, boss fight. Did you get as far in Kirby's Adventure as you did in Kirby's Dreamland? I did not. Okay, so this is the final boss fight. It's the Fountain of Dreams, which is also a Smash Brothers stage um, in later releases. And it's just really beautiful. And there's this serene lake in the background with mountains that are reflecting naturally. And it all kind of has a crystalline color palette to it. And, um, you know, that quote about uh, 
hiring the actual artists, the word for word that director Takashi Saito said was that he wanted the backgrounds to be pretty enough to look at on their own. And I guess that was sort of a novel idea in video games is that video games should just be good to just pause and just look at. So I really love that. Um, so Kirby, undeniably better looking on the NES and the Game Boy, but it's easy to forget that when this game was released, the Super Nintendo had already been on the market for three years. Did you remember that, Mike? I mean, I don't think I knew that for the first round, so this is not even <laughs> that I remember it. Well, so, you know, Kirby's Adventure, it's a really aesthetically pleasing game, but it was released on hardware that was three years out of date at this point. But here's what happened. Hal Studios was nearing bankruptcy and was going to dissolve as a company because of a game called Metal Slater Glory. Metal Slater Glory was a game that took the studio four years to make and is the biggest NES game of all time, according to file size, which was one megabyte. (laughs) And this game flopped hard on release. So it nearly bankrupted the company. So they didn't have the money to develop Kirby's Adventure for the Super Nintendo, even though that was the most modern system at the time. They chose the NES to you know cut costs and did you notice when playing kirby's adventure how strangely large the score and the heads-up display is on the bottom of the screen i'm showing you a screenshot here did that occur to you no it didn't occur to me as weirdly large Okay, so it's 25% of the screen, whereas like the previous Game Boy game, it was just like little numbers at the bottom. The reason it's so large is that they were able to reuse the Game Boy sprites and make it look like the characters were larger by cropping out a big part of the screen. And so it's more visually appealing and makes it look like the characters are bigger, even though the actual game is just smaller. But, you know, I, uh, I applaud their ingenuity. And I also applaud the Japanese commercial. So, like, I had you watch the Japanese commercial for Kirby's Dreamland. Not Kirby's Adventure, Kirby's Dreamland, the game we just covered. Um, Did you have any takeaways upon viewing that commercial? It kind of feels like a very dark take on Harold and the Purple Crayon. (laughs) You always have the weirdest references. What is Harold and the Purple Crayon? It's this kid that has a crayon that whatever he draws like becomes real is this and a show he, it was a series of children's books and i think they animated it and okay, okay. all kinds of stuff of well that does connect so the japanese commercial for kirby's dreamland the first game is this little kid drawing kirby and that is essentially the opening cutscene of kirby's adventure and so uh i i thought it ended kind of disturbingly he draws kirby and then kirby comes to life swallows him and spits him into the cold abyss of space. (laughs) And I forget, doesn't it end with like him like wedged in a star or something? Yeah, he's broken through a star. And I cannot tell if that's supposed to be excited or utterly terrified. Yeah, it's super strange. But it actually, you know, it reminds me of um, the gun stringer. That was a connect game where you it was you you controlled a marionette via strings and you shot up a bunch of enemies and navigated them through the level by holding your hand like you're actually holding a marionette because the connect was a motion sensing console. And at the end of the game, it's revealed that you are the main boss and not you, the character on the screen, you, the person controlling the character. The character gets angry and starts to shoot at you, the human player. 
<laughs> so sort of a Frankenstein, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, sort of my creation coming back to haunt me. Um, so, hey, Bernard, 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 Bernard. Yeah. Bernard, look, Bernard, Bernard, Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> the intro of the game, uh, Kirby's Adventure. Da -da 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 -da. You know that note progression I just did? In fact, I think I, I think I could just play it from. Actually, I'm not gonna play it again. It was the one I used in the intro. Does that sound familiar at all to you? Actually, can you play it again? <laughs> oh, the one from the actual sound effect. Yeah. All right, you got it. Hold on. Not the whole song. Just, just these that, opening notes. Just those. Uh, <laughs> did that help? You've heard it before. We've all heard it before. Yeah, I'm. I just can't. You can't place it, right? Associate anything to it. So interesting backstory. Um, the opening cutscene, which only plays on boot up, if you reset the game, it skips this part. It's called the Minsky Pickup, and it's named after Bill Minsky's burlesque house in 1920s New York. It was basically like a glorified strip club back in the 20s, and they would play this piano notes to introduce dancers or vaudeville acts. And so it became super famous across the country. Da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. And um, you've heard it from Weird Al Yankovic's polkas. He uh, starts three different polkas that way. You also know it from the Muppet Show. It's the uh, season five, the Muppet Show intro starts with those same notes. If I told you it was in Holy Grail, would you be able to pinpoint the spot? Um, I'm going to say it's out of Camelot. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the Knights of the Round Table. Uh, it introduces yeah. that song. And yeah, so Camelot, exactly. And um, it is sometimes referred to as the Cockney intro, which was a term popularized by British comedian Bill Bailey. <laughs> yeah, Which is why I was saying burn it over and over again. As soon as you got to Cockney intro, like that's how we're tying it back to this. Yeah. Like, I thought the burlesque part was why you started with this. Ah, first. yes. Yes. So yes. it kind of there was a quick dirty connection, and then there's a much more classy connection. Sure, sure. You you went on a whole journey just now. Yeah. Um. Well, so let's get into the game itself. Um. The first game, uh, Kirby's Dreamland, was criticized for being too simplistic. So Sakurai came up with the now iconic mechanic in which Kirby swallows enemies and gains their abilities by digesting them. They uh, came up with 40 different concepts and they whittled it down to the 25 that actually appear in the game, which Mike, I'm showing you a screenshot here. And Kirby has, you know, 25 different attacks he can do by stealing them from enemies he's digested. Um, if I had two favorites, I would say it was probably the laser, the laser power. Kirby would shoot like a laser out of his hands, kind of like a, you know, early Iron Man, but the laser would bounce off of angled surfaces. And so you could bounce it around corners or even, you know, send it flying, you know, all the way to their side of the screen, snaking through the level like a maze until it eventually hits a target. And I really also loved the ice power because it was like, you know, the fire breath, except when you would freeze an enemy with it, they would become encased in ice and then you could kick the block of ice and it would slide across the ground and hit uh, other enemies out of the uh, 25 here how many of them did you end up seeing in your playthrough Let's see i mean i definitely saw mike which i appreciate always <laughs> yeah it annoys me too because why do people spell mike as in microphone m-i-k-e but shouldn't it be m-i-c it's always bugged me yeah well um, this game spells it m-i-k-e 
Yes. And I did notice the, it's like, that's not how that should be spelled, but um, let's see. I recognize spark, stone, needle, UFO, wheel, high jump, cutter. Okay, you got pretty far. I think laser, yeah. sword, parasol, ice. Any? Did you have a favorite or anyone that was particularly fun to play with? Um, I think that the one that I noted down for this was the UFO, which was the other part that was interesting with this is, so the manual gives like eight of these, I think. It describes eight of the 25? Something like that. Yeah, I think it okay. des- it describes a set of them. I think it's got, it's got five in there and then is sort of like figure out, figure out the rest of these. Because some of these were one-offs, but some of the others you could get by combining. That you inhi- I think this is the one where it is. Well, that's Kirby 64. Are you saying it was all the way back in this game? You could combine your abilities to make new abilities? So um, being that the NES actually had a memory chip, they were able to do things like having Kirby swallow multiple enemies. But I always thought if you swallow two enemies, you just get a stronger projectile if you spit them back up. No, I don't no, know. So, yeah, as the way they word this is, when Kirby swallows two or more enemies simultaneously, he will sometimes get an unexpected special ability. Try to oh. think of how you might combine special abilities. And so, so did I you th- think the first time I got the UFO was from inhaling two at the same time, I think. Well, or- so you got the UFO in just a traditional level and you were flying around the level as a UFO zapping stuff? Yes, that's so cool because I didn't know, having not read the manual, I didn't know you could do that. So when I got the UFO, it was this moment where I was basically given the power to go fight a boss. And I thought that was the only time it appeared. I didn't know I could actually get that vehicle earlier in the game. That's super cool. I think I, I recall, I think I recall the, I think I may have gotten as far as the boss that gave where you needed it, I think. Okay. But so Why I would you combine to get the UFO then? Here's the worst part is that happened at a point in the level where I was intentionally inhaling one of them and something else dropped down just into range. And I have no <laughs> you idea didn't know what, what it was. was. Yeah. Wait, and so, and so you stuck to your retro principles and didn't rewind just to see what it was? I mean, I'm going to say both correct. And also if I re- rewound, I was like, I don't think I can accidentally do that again. And it was cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I have a UFO now. I'm good to go. Um, and so I'm there was choose a, to believe, go ahead. I would say there was a little bit where I kind of wish it was a little, I wish there was something that sort of gave a nudge towards where to get the combinations, even if it was just something yeah. like on this level, you can get these powers, but not necessarily telling you where, um, cause huh. just having yeah. combined some things is, is so hard to do that I only did it by accident. Yeah, because you, you can only combine two enemies by sucking them both up at the same time. So, like, let's say I'm gonna let's just say UFO. You get that by combining laser and um, tornado, right? Spinning laser, whatever. You would need to find a tornado enemy and a laser enemy just who happen to be next to each other, and you could suck them both up at once. Wow, that is that is wild. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. Um, but you know, I so I like this game even more now because. I think that everything about Kirby's Dreamland is better in this game. Yeah. I no, think I, the, the, and the other thing with that, I will appreciate though, especially when that happened, I'm like, the heck is this? 
was that the pause screen explains what your current weapon is. Okay. Or what your current ability is. So you've if with whatever you had, hitting pause, instead of just freezing the screen, it would actually bring up a fresh screen that would be like, this is the weapon you currently have, and here's what it does. Right. Which would have come in handy for like our Kid Chameleon episode, because the game does not do the best job of explaining the abilities that you get in that game. Yeah. Yeah, like, for as much as it was, I wish it was a little bit easier to figure out the heck I was trying to get to, um, and, and to get to those combinations. Yeah. Whatever thing I had, I could be like, okay, I have that ability now. What the heck does this do? Right, right, right. Well, so, you know, I, I do think that the production value is just even higher in this game. You know, a, a large part of that is because the Nintendo was a graphically more powerful system than the handheld battery-powered Game Boy. But I also especially loved the boss fights in Kirby's Adventure. They felt even more epic than the first game. Uh, shout out to the very first appearance of Meta Knight. Meta Knight has become a fan favorite in the uh, Kirby fandom. He's the um, swordsman, and you are given a sword to fight against him uh, upon first encountering him. And then there was Mr. Shine and Mr. Bright, which is a sun and a moon that attack you. And then there is also... Um, the secret final boss. Uh, so, you know, the Kirby franchise kind of usually repeats bosses, but this one had nightmare and the true final boss of the game is this cloaked wizard who flies around in space and he teleports and he shoots stars at you. And it's a really epic battle. Did you see any of these guys? How far did you get again? The sun and moon. I definitely remember because that was so incredibly frustrating to try to get through. Oh, why is that? Because the way that they would swap in and out and you're having to fight two enemies. So sometimes you have the moon down and sometimes you have the sun down. Yeah, you can't hit them both at the same time. You can't hit them both at the same time. They're attacking different ways. And especially once you no longer have an ability. Yeah. And you're basically because I sort of gave up on the idea that I was going to get through that with an ability. It was to do as much damage as I could with an ability. And then you're having to rely on the stars that get dropped during certain attacks. Yeah, because what Mike's referring to, we didn't mention it earlier, but when Kirby gets hit, he drops the ability he has. It's, it's once again, another retro game where you only get to be your most powerful until you take damage, which, again, is a mechanic I really hate. But Although you can get it back if, you, if you're quick. Yeah, it, it falls out of you as a bouncing star, and you can re-swallow it. Yeah, so sometimes you can, but that one just had enough going on that it was... I honestly can't even remember if I eventually got past them or eventually decided to move on to game three at that point. Right. Well, so the level, it's not just the boss fights that are cooler, though. The level design is a lot more intricate. There's a level where Kirby is climbing this tower and the tower is rotating in the background to give the sense of spiraling up and up and up. Some levels are like plunged into darkness and you need to use the light ability Uh, in order to see the enemies before they can approach you. They're, like, really hard to see silhouettes. And I really love that there is even a retro level that plunges Kirby back into the world of black and white as a tribute to Kirby's Dreamland. Like, whereas Kirby's Dreamland was cute, but the level felt very small, this truly did. It truly felt like an adventure, I would say. Uh, Did you like the levels like I did? I'd say, I would say generally, yes. I think one thing that I noticed that I think had to deal with that came with bigger levels was that sometimes it felt like there were platforms that you could jump up through and sometimes you could not do that and would have to go back out and around. Yeah. Which 
just bothered me sort of as an inconsistency of yeah which way is this working yeah you want, you want the world levels to be or the world the world rules to be feel consistent yeah i will say just from a from thinking about how you're really designing this kind of approach the spinning or the going around the building where really kirby's kind of kirby is only slightly moving the background's moving a whole lot yeah was a really interesting just change in how they're designing how that's working because that's a whole different set of mechanisms to it really right yeah what mike's referring to is that the tower level kirby basically stays in the center of the screen and so the movement is communicated by the background layer it's not even as simple as kirby stays in the middle of the screen kirby slowly moves across as you're progressing right but the background is moving much more to make it seem like he's moving faster because he's it's supposed to be he's going all the way around yeah yeah the implication is that he goes all the way around and then comes back out the other side yeah i thought that was super cool yeah no i would i would definitely agree with that um what'd you think of the mini games so this one um unlike the first game has mini games in between the levels um there's a trampoline game a claw machine game and a quick draw game um there's an additional one oh which one did i miss so I'll, I'll cover these and then get to the one that you don't have on here. So the, the trampoline game, I was never good at. So the idea Me is neither. that you're supposed to catapult yourself up at the end of a level. Yeah. And it's like, I have no idea when I'm supposed to press A for that to work. I uh, was like, do I pound A? Do I hold down the button and then release it as Kirby launches up? Or do I press it? The like, I never figured it out. Yeah. Sometimes I would get very up to the very top. And sometimes I would just be. I also wonder if it has something to do with how many hit points you had left. Like, I have you know, no it, idea. I do also appreciate that um, if you were not paying enough attention for that or didn't realize it was going to do that, it basically just puts you on the first level and the message that comes up is just actually push the A button next time. Like, says, like, yeah, that's you, that's you, hilarious. I think it's, you know, it is just like push the button. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I realize I dropped the ball here. You don't need to point yeah. that out. Don't need to rub it in. Yeah, because that was the like, at the end of a level thing, whereas the others were like you went into them separately, I think. Right. Yeah. And you so, uh, yeah, you got so, to choose when the other ones happened. Yeah. The crane, I succeeded every time in grabbing the large Kirby that was two extra lives. Yeah, it's weird because claw games in real life are like impossible. And this yeah. one felt too easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish the real life ones were at all closer to that because that was that was amazing. It was every time. Yeah. And then the quick draw one, I do find it interesting because this is referenced in the Japanese cover with a gun that very clearly seems to be firing like actual stuff. Like there's this smoke around it. And here it's just like the big, like the cartoon, like boxing glove coming out of the gun. Yeah, I, I don't think they wanted Kirby to actually be like busting a cap in somebody. But what this game is, you know, for those who haven't played it, is that it's Kirby standing in like an old Western, you know, old timey desert. And you get like a you have to fire. You have to press the A button as soon as the enemy draws on you. And if you press the A button before they draw on you, you lose. And if you can press the button fast enough, you know, you win and it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And eventually I, you know, was able to beat it, but I was cheating by rewinding every time. I did find it interesting that if you shot too early, it just treated it as like a strike one. Whereas if you were too late, you did lose. Like if you were shot, you were shot. But if you shot them 
unfairly. It was just like, you probably shouldn't do that. Try that again. Yeah, it's more forgiving of people who are trigger happy versus people who are too passive. <laughs> yeah, which is a concerning message in a sense. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so I think every time I did this, I got to, I think there's five that you had to beat total, I presume. Yeah, the last one is King DD. King DDD. Who would shoot me every time. Yeah, it was I so. I always got to him and then lost. I mean, it's almost like with him, you sort of need to actually press it the very moment that he whips his gun out. I think it's like one frame of animation. So it's possible. I can confirm it is possible, but I never would have gotten the timing yeah. right. And then the the last one was the eggs and bombs one. Eggs and bombs? I don't even remember that one. Where you're in like it. I think it's DDD doing this to you, but you're in like a box oh, yeah. boxing ring i think as the setting yes. and he's throwing eggs and bombs at you and you have to hold a to swallow up all the eggs but if you swallow a bomb then you lose immediately right and then it also matters how many of and it's a fixed amount so once you reach the end it's how many of the eggs did you get right yeah which was, i thought that was cool too yeah it was weird it of anything, that's the one that felt most like a Mario Party mini game to me. Right. Yeah, I agree. Well, uh, so what about Joy Cons? Like, we've covered a lot of things that make this game kind of cool. For me, you know, a con for this game is that this is the Kirby game being the second one. It started the tradition of reusing boss characters uh, Wispy Woods. Uh, King DDD and Krako, the lightning cloud, they're all enemies from Kirby's Dreamland. And they do have some new tricks. You know, they have some new attacks and they look a little better. But a lot of Kirby fans say that this is actually something they like about the series. It's almost like in a fighting game, how you'd expect to see returning characters. They like to see the newest iteration of the same bosses from the previous game. And so pretty much every Kirby game has ever been released. The first boss is the wispy woods tree and the penultimate boss is King DDD. Um, do you like that? Like, like a lot of Kirby fans do Mike, or are you more like me where it feels, I don't want to say lazy, but it just feels less interesting. I, don't, I mean, I will say it feels familiar, and I will also, in a very tantalizing way, say that because I think we changed the grouping of ep episodes at some point on the spreadsheet. Okay, yes. Um, I played four Kirby games. Oh, you played Kirby's Dreamland 2. Oh, just yeah. kidding. You played Kirby's Dreamland 3. Yes. Um, okay. There is something about that that I think is actually very relevant to this point. Ooh. They do something with that the bosses, huh? They did something with the bosses that I was not expecting because I thought I knew how this works. Excellent. Okay. Well, I will look forward to our next Kirby episode whenever we get to that one. Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, I don't think I really minded. Like, there was almost something, especially between the first one and this one, where there is actually a difference a bit in how Kirby plays. Yeah. It was something so somewhat comforting to go into that first one with Whiskey Woods and be like, okay, I know the gist of what we got to do here. Yeah. So I can get the feel of how it's working in this game because it's the same. It, it's the same core mechanic of hit him with apples. Right. Yeah, It's sort of like a Kirby series skill you've developed is how to fight the Wispy Woods. Yeah, I can see that. I can see yeah, that. And it's just, it, it allows you to sort of calibrate to right in this game. This is more of how this is going. For sure. So what do you have any criticisms of Kirby's adventure before we go on to our I final game? Th of the episode? I think the only two things that I, really have sort of would be that issue with the platforms and not really having an idea of 
of wanting a little bit that would nudge me towards finding powers that I wouldn't have known how to combine. Yeah, but I mean, I didn't even know you could combine powers, and I still had to find time with the game. Yeah. So what does yeah. that tell like you? Like I said, it's like I wish I. It's there's an element of like, and there's also the fact like I haven't gone and looked up what the heck I was supposed to. You know, I haven't gone and looked up how I got a UFO. Right. So there's an element of just like within the game, if that had had a little bit of a nudge, and I clearly they give you those in special circumstances later, yeah. but getting a bit of a flavor for the combining would have, would have been. been nice yeah so then let's move on to our final game uh, for today's episode kirby's dreamland 2 released on the game boy in 1995 it was uh, published by nintendo and developed by hal laboratory once again although this is the first game in the kirby series uh, to be directed by someone who was not sakurai this is um shinichi uh, shimomura who also directed dreamland 3 a game that you played and kirby 64 so those two games we're going to get to in later episodes these those three games in combination, Dreamland 2, Dreamland 3, and Kirby 64, is referred to by fans as the Dark Matter trilogy. Do you understand why they're called that, Mike? Well, I know this is where Dark Matter is introduced as a thing that has taken yeah. control of everything. <laughs> yeah, it's an antagonist, but it's kind of like this otherworldly force. It's almost like evil itself. Yeah, is which is affecting I... Dreamland. Yeah, which I do also find somewhat interesting because the manual describes this is dark matter has taken control of stuff and the key, the key to defeating it is the rainbow sword. Yes. And to skip a somewhat futile like do you understand why I I as a with a physics degree find that weird <laughs> discourse. Dark matter. Wait, wait. What? Yeah, I mean, well, rainbow is is reflected light, and it would defeat dark matter. So isn't that perfect? No, because dark matter does not interact with light. That's why we call it that. Oh, so you're saying in the fight of rainbow versus dark matter, dark matter wins every time. Or at least it, it's not impact. It, it doesn't influence the rainbow in any fashion. Like, okay, those well, so two simply shouldn't, you can't use it against it because they don't interact. They can't even touch each other. Correct. Interesting. Okay, so if you were to do, if you did have to deal with an actual dark matter problem in real life, what would be the response? Not a rainbow sword, but what? A gravity blade? Yeah, oh, that, that even sounds cool too. I like that. Well, so um, you know, the Kirby's Dreamland Two, aside from having you know that really sort of epic addition to this, you know. The, antagonist this dark matter enemy you wouldn't really know it by looking at the covers would you you're looking at kirby's dreamland 2 here such a whimsical cover nearly identical from north america to the u.s release but it's showing off the thing that separates this game from the others and that is your ability to ride around on three different animal companions or we got in. rick that or in <laughs> yes so rick the hamster uh well actually yeah rick the hamster and Koo the owl you ride on their backs and Kine, the sunfish, he just holds you in his mouth. Kind of like, what is that called? It's the fish that eats that other fish's tongue and then like lives inside their mouth. It kind of becomes the real life Geiger alien from the Alien series. You know what I'm talking and about? I know what you're talking about. I don't. I do not know what that thing's called, but yeah. Okay. I know exactly yeah. What you're talking so, about. so Kirby sort of becomes that sort of creature and just is carried around inside the fish's mouth uh of the three mike um, rick the hamster Koo the owl or kine the sunfish 
what do you think of playing as these little guys? And did did you have a favorite? Right off the bat, what the heck kind of name for a hamster is Rick? Yeah, I was trying to figure out. Like, I was wondering if it was Onomatopoeia because, like, you know, Kirby's original name bef- uh, was Popopo. Um, that was the development name before they settled on Kirby you know, as a tribute to the lawyer. So I'm like, I could see that Rick is sort of the sound a hamster makes. Like, rick, 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 rick. you know what I mean? I'm wondering if Rick is another lawyer. <laughs> not, not that I could find. Not that I could find. But yeah, I think just my general feel on this. So this does have the idea that the abilities Kirby has combines with the animal that you're paired with in some yeah weird extra way where right so where the manual gives a couple examples but doesn't give you the full idea of which things actually do stuff or what they do so in in kirby's adventure there were 25 different abilities you could steal from enemies in kirby's dreamland 2 the i guess it's the sequel to the first game boy game but it's like they didn't call this kirby's adventure 2 so it's almost like they didn't intend it to be compared to the nes game but so you only have seven different copy abilities in this game, but every one of these three animals has their own unique spin on whatever copy ability that you have. So the example that I'm going to show you here is the needle power. When Kirby uses the needle power, he sort of just becomes sort of the spiked wrecking ball at the bottom of the owl. But when he uses it alone, Kirby is just sort of this immovable object. So there is something to be said for like combining the right power with the right animal. So um, and and that's really one of the only key differences between this game and Kirby's Dreamland and Kirby's Adventure is this animal companion thing. So yeah. what, what what would you take on the animal companions? Did yeah. you enjoy them? I overall I wouldn't say I I did. So the hamster just kind of felt pointless. Um, it mentions yeah. that the hamster like doesn't slip on ice, and I did not. Which get doesn't far. come up very often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did not really have that as an issue. Yeah, the fish really does just feel necessary by virtue of how Kirby works underwater. Yeah, which tends to be not great normally. And then the and, fish, though, do you ever get the fish on land? I think yeah, where you just kind of like. Sl- slowly hop its way across. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge hindrance to to use the fish vehicle on land in this level, in this game. Yeah, so the fish has its limits there, and then the bird. I already talked about the oh, I can just kind of bypass some stuff in the air. Yeah, uh, in this yell. game, that was super doable. Also, because I think I think with the cutter ability, just started to feel like overpowered yeah i that that was one thing i'm going to get to as far as joy cons is that i think these animal companions make the game a little too easy because not only is the animal's special attack much more effective than yours so mike's talking about cutter when kirby uses cutter by himself he throws this bladed boomerang but if he's riding on top of the owl the owl shoots a spread shot of three big feather blades that kind of fill the whole screen really and uh, it's kind of just so not only... like mash that and move across and just it's a Kirby based wall of death. Right. Exactly. You sort of felt overpowered, like you said. So, so does that mean the owl was your favorite because you got to exploit him or you don't really have a favorite? Honestly, I think I don't want favorite doesn't feel like the right word. The fish would not this would not have been playable without the fish. Just because the, of the underwater segments. Yeah. Just the way in because Kirby swimming is just a lot more limiting than Kirby on land. Yeah. And so having 
a fish show up for that made that a lot more manageable, but it doesn't feel like a favorite. It just feels like necessary. I guess the bird is a, is the favorite, even though I don't think of the bird as, as necessary to gameplay. Yeah. Because Kirby can already float. So giving him a flying animal, it's like, okay, we're like, you said, we've gone from easy to easiest here as far as, you know, your response to obstacles. So in Kirby's dreamland Two you have to rescue these animals from captivity. Uh, Halfway through a level, you'll enter this little mini boss room. And once you defeat the mini boss, you can free the animal from the sack that it's tied up and dangling from the ceiling. And then you can ride it out and then play through the rest of the level that way. And you can even start levels, you know, on your animal from the previous level. Did you ever save an animal with the animal you already had? So like as the hamster, did you ever find the hamster in the bag? Oh, wait. So, like, <laughs> save the same animal with the animal you have. Correct. No. Did you see? So, here's what happens. You see my screenshot here? Oh, wait. That's why that happens. <laughs> yeah, it's super weird and it doesn't explain it, but I did this one time just organically while playing. And instead of an animal companion, it was this weird kind of, I don't know, this blob, this go- blob with a goofy face on. This is gooey. The, the I was manual going never... to ask if that's gooey. Yeah, okay, so the manual mentioned... What did the manual say about gooey? The manual does not mention a darn thing about gooey. Gooey shows up in the next game. Oh, okay. I was going to get to that, yes. Yeah, and okay. it didn't... So it at the time this happened, I was very confused. Right. Then I went and played Dreamland 3, thinking I was supposed to. And so now, as soon as you show me this, I go, oh, wait a minute. I do remember no. this, and that looks familiar now. Right. And it's kind of a silly moment. You're like, well, okay, don't really know what to do. And if you touch Gooey, he just heals you. So it's sort of like a reward for, you know, saving an animal that you didn't need to save, you get Gooey. But there's a one in eight chance that Chow will appear. And Chow is a little girl from Yu Yu Yuki, an NES game inspired by the classic Chinese legend referred to as Journey to the West. Um, That is most famous for the origination of the name Goku being an ape-like hero. And this game that Chao is from, Yu Yu Yuki, was never released in the West. And so developers were afraid that if a random little girl showed up one out of every eight times, it'd be really confusing because there's no other humans in the Kirby universe. So they decided that for the Western release, instead of having a one in eight chance of getting Chow, you get a female version of Gooey. And Mike, if I asked you to guess how they changed Gooey to be a she-Gooey, what would you guess they did? I'm avoiding a series of jokes and going with bow on the head. (laughs) Thank you for avoiding the series of jokes, but you are absolutely right. They just inverted the colors and put a bow on the head. And so that is, you know, kind of one of my um, that's that's really my trivia for this game. There's not really a whole lot that's written about this game. They did more than that. Okay, it's actually almost weird that so they do the bow, which you could have just put a bow on there. But that very much is also different eyes and mouth, too. Well, no, it's just inverted. Right. So instead of instead of black. Oh, wait, no, it's not. Yeah, because look, like, look, like, look at the Gooey's <laughs> weird eyes and giant, unnerving grin. Yeah, 
It's almost like Shigui is like kind of more grounded, less unsettling. Yeah, it's, it's like, well, it's a female character. We need to make it sort of cute. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Can't have a wacky female character back in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. and then I'm also wondering, so what What was the girl again? Chow. A supporting character from an uh, NES uh, text-based RPG. Okay, because there's something familiar about her from Dreamland 3 as well. I think... I think she might make an appearance. So that is also, because I had this weird, like, wait, no, that looks familiar. And then you're like, this wasn't in it. And it's like, okay, you're, I'm beginning <laughs> to question my own reality for a moment here. And so I no, think, no. yeah. So it's fascinating to see how much of this will get discussed again when we get to Dreamland 3 in a later episode. Yeah, it's, I, I'm actually kind of loving that you didn't see the spreadsheet change and I didn't communicate it properly. Actually, you know what? I did send you a text. I said, to be clear, and I listed these three games. And you said, thanks for clarifying. And then you played four. But you know what, though? You're just ahead of the curve. And I think now you've got I might have already played, played them. them sure. At yeah. that point. That makes sense. Um, well, so so let's talk about, you know, what we liked about Kirby's Dreamland Land 2. Uh, you know, the animals having their different you know, copy abilities. It just gave you, you know, uh, new angles to approach enemy encounters. Although, like you said, sometimes it feels a little overpowered. I kind of think that like, much like Golden Axe 2 was just too similar to Golden Axe. This felt just kind of derivative. And maybe it's because I played these games one after another on the way home from Sweden. But I found myself enjoying Kirby's Dream Land 2 not as much as the first two games we've discussed. Like, what's your take on it? I think for me, the addition of the animals, and especially the way that they try to, you're kind of channeled into what animals you can use where, or at least what animals you can access where. So like, instead of a water level, there's going to be a fish. Yeah. And you're kind of channeled into what abilities you're seeing kind of feels like they've created this oh these all combined but not in a way that i can easily explore so i'm kind of just working with what's being handed to me which Which sort of interesting less interesting and because you can't easily sort of swap those out to explore you kind of stick with what appears to work which is why you really quickly i'm like okay maybe i shouldn't have the hamster with a parasol because i don't know why that's just a hamster holding an umbrella with kirby bouncing on top as an attack (laughs) But then going, oh, the bird with Cutter just annihilates half the screen. Yeah. Don't mess with this. And so I kind of feel like if it felt like it was easier to adjust with that, it would feel like it has expanded the game. Instead, it just kind of feels like it's closer to like clutter in the game. And so I wasn't particularly thrilled with that. And so it kind of, it felt like it hit this point that for me games do where you've now, you've added too many variables yes that it's no longer fun it just feels a tad confusing or forced and you know initially i was like well bummer the previous game the nes game that came out two years before this game had 25 different abilities you could steal from enemies now it's down to seven but when the animals are using the abilities it's drastically different so like when kirby becomes a stone he uses it to just drop on enemies below him, which is one of your favorite Smash Brothers attacks, I remember. It but works. When the ha- but when the hamster uses the stone, the hamster becomes a boulder that you run around on top of. And I guess apparently when the hamster has the parasol, it sort of does it in reverse. 
the hamster is spinning uh, Kirby. So, you know, when you add all that up, now you got 21 powers, almost the same as the other one. But no. What do you, you mean? Have, you have 28 powers. Oh, oh, you're right. You're right. It's more. Right. Because I forgot about Kirby. Kirby himself has different abilities. So it's actually more. It's more abilities than Kirby's Adventure. But it wasn't as fun to me because, like, in Kirby's Adventure, when you see a fire enemy, you know what kind of attack you can expect to steal from it. And so if there's multiple enemies on the screen, you'd be like, okay, well, in this situation, I think I want the laser because I see a bunch of angled surfaces. So I'll swallow the laser guy. I could never remember, like, what the hamster needle is versus Kirby's needle. You know what I mean? Yeah, it loses sort of intuitiveness to it. Yeah, it's it's the clarity of purpose is sort of muddled a bit in this one. And, you know, I think that's a great way to segue into the biggest Joy-Con of Jer Kirby's Dream Land 2, which is the true final boss. So how far did you get in this one? Definitely not this far, although I've only just now realized that you have a rainbow sword in a black and white game, which is a weird move. Oh, I'll get to that when we finish talking about this game. Yeah, definitely right. a weird move. So the final boss is King DDD, like he like it's been in the other three games. And in the other three games, it would advertise this new game plus mode, you know, a more difficult version that you can access. And it tells you how after you beat King DDD the first time in Kirby's Adventure. I'm going to go back to the screenshot of that game. Let me click way back. You get Nightmare after beating the new game plus mode. And it's this super epic battle. And it felt like, okay, this is cool. This is like worth playing through the game a second time because, you know, it was just amazing. And they had another kind of anime epic battle at the end of Kirby's Dream Land 2 against Dark Matter. And it's a pretty cool sequence. So during the final boss fight against Keaton DDD, it's obvious he's asleep. He's sleep, it's not even sleepwalking, he's sleep fighting, which is a great <laughs> Parks and Rec scene, if you've seen that one. Are you a Parks and Rec fan, Mike? Do you like that show? Um, I have not seen it. <gasps> what? It's so good. You also probably haven't seen The Office for some reason. Um, oh, you, you see, I, oh, I know, you've seen the real The Office. And I hated it, and I had no okay. interest to ever come near that again, because I've seen the entire br British version of The Office. They could not stand it. Yeah, well, the U.S. version is most people regard as vastly superior. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here, though. So the um, King DDD in the normal playthrough is clearly sleep fighting, and you beat him. And instead of telling you how to unlock a new game plus mode, it just makes it super clear that you didn't get the good ending. The dark matter enemy is staring at you through the whole credit sequence in really kind of an unnerving way. To get the true final battle of this game, in which you get the rainbow sword and you fight dark matter as it takes on its epic sort of biblically accurate angel forms, is to get all seven star bits in every one of the levels. Did you find star bits as you were playing? No. <laughs> well, you did. I'm sure you did. You just didn't realize you were picking them up. There were little power-ups that were just stars. And in fact, if you look at the heads-up display at the bottom of the screen, you see how it tells you how many stars you've earned? Yes. So every level has seven. But frustratingly enough, there is no visual indication of which levels you've gotten all seven in. Like on the level select screen, it won't tell you which ones you've cleared all the way. And it doesn't save the stars you've gotten. You have to get all seven in one run for it to count. And so that's a huge ask, 
especially since it didn't communicate it from the jump. I would literally have to replay this entire game getting every single power up, but it's even worse for Western players because you remember Chow, the little girl we were talking about? Yes. Or at the Western release, female gooey, she gooey. Finding her, whichever version of her it is, is the final 1% needed. So you could beat the entire game, you could get every star bit, and you would still be stuck at 99% until you randomly encounter Shigui. And only then will it give you the final 1% you need to fight the true lost boss. And it's like, what? Why would you? It's why would you do that? Why would you build this incredibly epic ending and let only a sliver of players actually see it? Super frustrating. I hate it. Yeah, there's that's just so hard to figure out the steps involved. I have to assume it was some attempt to sell like Nintendo power issues or, you know, have people sign, you know, calling the Nintendo hotline and Hey, like I beat the game, but clearly it's not over. Cause I never fought dark matter. How do I do that? Well, you have to, you have to keep rescuing the same animal as the animal until eventually you find a female version of the goo that appears. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I feel like at a certain point that just also turns into just presuming that's the ending. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So very weird, kind of very frustrating. And that's, I think, the biggest Joy-Con is that they had this, you know, satisfying ending that is almost inaccessibly locked behind the super strange requirement. Yeah, no, I think I think the general anything that requires you to do has a, you know, do all of X should actually be trackable in some fashion. Absolutely. And if you can't track it, then don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, Mike, so anything else to say about Kirby's Dreamland 2? I, I kind of covered it. Like I said, it's you know very similar to the previous game, so I don't have as much to say about it. I don't think so, except with the again, the weird tease that I think your complaint here, I think matches something that Dreamland 3 has, but does better. So okay. I, I, I feel like you may have spotted a thing that then they went, oh, we should fix that in the future if we try this again. I mean, that's good. It's good to know that the series, I, I think I'm going to really like Dreamland 3. That's like the third time you've mentioned, oh, yeah, that is annoying, but that's going to come up again. <laughs> so, so don't worry about it. Yeah, no, there's a weird through line he, here of you identifying things that actually are foreshadowing how Dreamland 3 turns out. Fascinating. Well, so speaking of the end of Dreamland, let me just go to the um, the true ending cutscene. If you're looking at the screen here, Mike, this I, I told you at the beginning that Nintendo put a little file into every Game Boy Color to identify 30 different games and give them the right color palette. Right? Remember I said that? Yeah. So this single screen got its own color palette for the Super Game Boy. It was a file created purely to present the screen. And what you're looking at is every single color that the system is able to produce all on the screen at once. <laughs> so it's literally the most colorful Game Boy uh, screenshot you'll ever see without it being a Game Boy Color game. <laughs> Can we talk about the rainbow? Sure, because you actually get all the colors and the colors are, are what the, I'm guessing, I guess they're in the wrong order. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Didn't didn't see it until you mentioned it. What which ones are out of place? Um, all of them. Okay, basically, it so, so the order we have in is nature. yellow, orange, red, purple, blue. That's the one in the games. That's that, that's what we've got in the games game screen. 
the order you would like the whole Roy G. Bibb thing is specifically what this should be, which is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. Hmm. Yeah, it is. It. <laughs> it's kind of actually weird now that you mention it, that someone who's clearly involved in like, you know, creating art would get that wrong. It's just weird. Like I was expecting this to be like, whatever it swapped in colors, but like this specific screen was intentionally given all of these colors. And I'm just like, yes, so much of a swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah. It, huh. This is that you had one job kind of moment. <laughs> well, Mike, speaking of, we had one job. Shall we get to our critiques? I think we're ready to, um, uh, or do you have anything else to say about dreamland too? Um, this is more just a, 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 a question. Is it weird? I just always imagine that umbrella as red and it, that it's blue in Kirby's hand here. It feels weird to me. And I don't know if that's. I agree. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I think in later games, it would be a red and white umbrella. And I also think red and white umbrellas are just sort of ingrained in our collective subconscious for some reason. But yeah. yeah I, just, I, I, don't, I don't have a proper assessment. Just, this feels strange to me, but I can't weirdly justify it. All right. It'd be like if you heard that da 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 da, but it was like da 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 do da da, and you're like, hey, one of those is off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go on to our rankings, our critiques. We're going to declare each game a Nintendo or a Nintendo. So let's go back to the first game of the episode, Kirby's Dreamland for the Game Boy, Kirby's debut. Um, I think that this is a Nintendo. I think, despite its comparatively humble beginnings. There's a reason this series caught on, and Kirby's Dreamland is just a delight to play. It's short, it's punchy, five levels. You can beat the whole thing in an hour or two, and you know, especially if you have the ability to save or rewind. I was really surprised. I thought I would really miss Kirby's ability to copy enemies, and so I thought, you know, going into this game knowing I wouldn't be able to do that, I thought it'd be boring. But I, I thought it was kind of a snappy little game. I think it's a Nintendo. What about you for? Kirby's debut game. I'd go same thing in a, a Nintendo. It helps that it's relatively short. I, I mean, I beat it not realizing I was beating it almost. Yeah. Like it was right. sort of a, oh, I'm at the end. So it's not as though it's a good length to just say it's good. It's definitely good enough at that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's two Nintendos. Oh, and um, yeah, we talked about I beat that one. Um, Kirby's Adventure. Like, I beat Kirby's Adventure. Uh, I think there's so many positive things to say about it. It's almost difficult to stay objective about it. Um, Kirby has 39 games in the series, but Kirby's Adventure, I think, is the one where they really figured out the feel of a Kirby game. They came up with their iconic mechanic. And that combined with, like, really forgiving platforming. You got colorful visuals. You got intense combat. You got, like, creative level design. And then there's just this childlike whimsy that that title has. I think Kirby's Adventure on the NES is a timeless classic. I'd recommend it to anybody. What do you think? I, I think I would definitely go Nintendo on this as well. I thought yeah. it was a solid game. Absolutely solid game. And let me see if I can get this. I And that's why I Nintendo did. <laughs> Final game, Kirby's Dream Land 2. Can you go first on Kirby's Dreamland 2? I have mixed feelings about it. I think for me, Kirby's Dreamland 2 just it adds stuff that just kind of muddies the game. Yeah. It doesn't really yeah. bring bring anything. So for me, it's Nintendo. It's a Nintendo. Yeah. 
So Kirby's Dream Land 2, I really struggle with my rating for this one. Um, it's it's a really strange place in the Kirby franchise. It, it lacks the novelty of Dreamland because it's not Kirby's first appearance, right? And it released after the much better Kirby's Adventure. And so it feels like a step back in the series because it has worse graphics and a more confusing, you know, copy ability system with the complications of which animal you have. And it has that really frustrating path towards getting the good ending. And this was all forgivable back in 1995 because the Game Boy and Nintendo series uh, were viewed as separate entities. So they were approached with very different expectations. And by modern standards, there's not a whole lot that draws me to Kirby's Dream Land 2 or gets me that excited to discuss it. I don't think the animal thing, it felt cool in Golden Axe. It just feels kind of unnecessary here. I mean, you're comparing like dragons to like a sunfish? Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the animals were more exciting in Golden Axe. But like Kirby's Dream Land, in which I beat it, I Nintended. And like Kirby's Adventure, which I also beat. I'm so afraid I'm going to press the wrong button. I also beat Kirby's Dream Land 2. Okay, redeem myself. Is this your first sweep of an episode? It is. Yes. And I do not have a sound effect for that. So please don't ask me. <laughs> but I I beat it. I beat all these games. And when I was playing Kirby's Dream Land 2, I was never not having fun. I had fun the whole time. I beat the whole game. And I think objectively, it is a more full-featured and impressive game than Kirby's Dream Land. So for me, I was I was kind of hoping, I was low-key hoping you would say it's a Nintendo so that I can give it a reluctant Nintendo. And we can throw this one to our listeners. What do you think? Um, I'm glad to have helped there. <laughs> yeah. So in the event of a tie, we would love our listeners to weigh in. We'll um, have you weigh in on the comments section or maybe a poll if we can figure out how to set that up. But for me, Kirby's Dreamland, Kirby's Adventure, and Kirby's Dreamland 2, all of these are Super Nintendos. And I really recommend that anybody give them a shot. Uh, well, Mike, thank you for putting up with me this episode. I feel like we had quite a few bumps in the road, but I had fun. I always have fun talking to you about games. Um, listeners, please like, follow, and subscribe if you think we've earned it. And join us next time where Mike and I will be flipping out on two pinball games, which is Pinball on the NES and Sonic Spinball on the Sega Genesis. So thank you so much for listening. This has been the old switcheroo where we've been talking gaming retro with Mike and JMO. I have been Mike. And I've been JMO. Game on, everyone. All right, well, um, let's take a 30-second break, Mike, because I really need to use the bathroom. I am dying. Um, All right. I'll be right back, and then we'll go on to Kirby's Dreamland 2. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Right. Take note of the time so you can cut this out. And please don't put this in the post credit scene. Oh, God. <laughs>
Are you mad? I can't see. I can't see your face on the Zoom. Go start at the Google side. I'm just wondering if you're if if you're botching enough of this that you're like this will displace the other stuff for the for the after the end bit. Yeah. Yeah, I sure it will. No. Okay. 